Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Thank you so much for joining us for this wonderful Monday morning edition of the show. Joining me as always is my co-host, Stephen Gillespie. Unfortunately, Maxwell Baumbach is not able to make it on this episode. He's got a lot going on this week. But nevertheless, Stephen and I are going to be able to hold down the fort as we kick off one of my favorite series that we get to do Mm. here at Draft Deeper. We've spent a ton of time this cycle talking about the prospects who will be available for the 2023 NBA draft. And we are still going to get into plenty of those names tonight as we will over the next few weeks. But what we will start this episode moving forward is actually discussing the lottery teams at length, right? So that's, that's covering where were they at this season? How did they finish their year? What does their roster outlook look like right now? What are their needs in terms of what they can fill in the draft? And who are the players that we could project for not just their lottery picks, but because we're draft deeper, Steven, we're going to be discussing players at all of their selections, right? So if they have mm. multiple first round picks, if they have multiple second round picks, we're going to be covering all of those picks for each team going over where we think those teams could look to in the draft. So I love this time of year. This is an interesting way for us. I feel to keep the conversation light, keep it going. I'm excited to kick this off. Steven, how are you doing tonight? Are, are you ready to, to talk about some lottery teams? Dude, I'm ready. It's a great way to wrap up a fun weekend of basketball. Um, just anytime, man, I, I, I'm going to get a little sentimental here. Working with you has been awesome this year. I'm really glad that we've uh, been able to do all the great work that we have. And I'm just excited to keep it uh, keep the good times rolling here, talking some NBA-centric discussion as opposed to just specifically college basketball. It's a nice spin on things, man. I'm ready to get into some uh, real sicko stuff, too, as Maxwell would put it. It, it's been a full weekend of basketball indeed. We've had the Portsmouth games going on down in Virginia. We've had the NBA playoffs really get into the full swing with plenty mm-hmm. of first round action. My 76ers got a big win yesterday, so I'm excited about there you that. Go. We trust me, there, there is plenty of plenty to discuss in the world of basketball, but what we do is we focus on the NBA draft. And so that's exactly that's what, what we we're do. gonna do. So lottery teams, what, what we're gonna do, two lottery teams each episode. From, from a week-to-week basis now on Draft Deeper. We're going to start out with two teams. We could have went a different direction technically in terms of the teams we're covering on this episode, but we also wanted to wait and make sure we, we had some of these teams that were possibly involved in the play-in action getting into the back end of the playoffs. We wanted to make sure that we weren't covering teams who weren't actually going to be in the lottery. So I chose two teams above or slightly above, I should say, that back end to start this series with one team out east and one team out west. So tonight we're going to be covering the Indiana Pacers Mm. and the Utah Jazz. So these are two feel-good stories to me, Stephen, right? So did both of these teams end up finishing in the lottery? Yes. Did they have records that, that maybe were a little lower than initially expected after the start that both of these teams got out to in their respective conferences. Yes. But when you aren't going to be involved in the playoff conversation at this point, especially with a talent like Victor Wembanyama available to you, if you would win the lottery, you probably want to try to position yourself as best as you can while obviously remaining competitive and mm-hmm. still fielding a, a product and a team out there that, that's worthwhile for fans and really worthwhile for the young players to develop within, which both of these teams, they have legitimate building blocks moving forward. So I'm excited to, to talk about both of them at length. Steven, I will give you the option 
as the co-host here, which team would you like to start with tonight? The Pacers or the Jazz? Who interests you more? I appreciate the honor. Let's kind of mix it up a little bit, man. Like we're both East Coast boys. Let's uh, okay. let's start out west. Let's go. Let's go with Utah. I love it. Let's let's start with the Utah Jazz. So, really interesting story for the Jazz, right? Danny Age comes in as president of basketball operations, trades away the team's effectively top three players, right? When mm-hmm. you factor in what they did ultimately at the trade deadline. So yep. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, they were gone preseason. Then you have Mike Conley also out the door in a trade that, that again, <laughs> uniquely in, in, involved the Timberwolves. So yep. you, you've got, you've got a team that's wiped clean slate from their top players. You have a number of interesting young pieces that you would expect to be building around for the future. You have a few vets like a Kelly Olynyk, for example, who's still providing value in the starting lineup. And you may have found a top level scorer in one of the NBA's most improved players in Lowry Barkanen. So there's a lot going on with this Utah team. They finished 37 and 45, but for a while, Steven, up until maybe the last two to three weeks of the season, we're all left around thinking, "Is are the Utah Jazz going to be a playoff team in the Western Conference? And that's really what it seemed to be. Now, we we kind of expected that eventually Utah was going to fall back a little bit and, and see mm-hmm. where they position themselves in the lottery. But I was thrilled with how competitive this Utah team was really all year long. What, what Where did Utah finish in relation to your expectations? What, what do you feel uh, about their story overall in the year? Well, man, like I thought that they were going to be dead last in the West, you know, especially when you talked about how they they shipped off, you know, all their all their big names seemingly. Right. And they mm-hmm. they brought in some promising young talent. They got a, a, a whole bunch of draft picks right in the um, in the Rudy Gobert trade. So we're like, OK, they got the Timberwolves trade and that's probably going to be a really low pick. And so they probably need to just kind of, you know just tank, so to speak, right? Like Mm -hmm. shout out to the Dallas Mavericks, you know, like a real tank. So they didn't, they didn't do that. But what I think was smart about what they did, Nathan was, is that they were competitive and they showed off a lot of their, their pieces, right? Like they turned Lowry marketing into like a, a solid starter over in Cleveland after a tumultuous Chicago campaign, he comes over to Utah and is now an all-star probably going to be an all NBA player and a most improved player as well. So mm-hmm. there's a lot to be excited about on that aspect. And then the guy, one of the guys that just kind of got thrown into the Rudy Gobert trade, Walker Kessler ends up being, he's going to be an all, all rookie first team yep. guy. He's, he's kind of been flirted with like, a, Oh, Hey, wouldn't he be a neat rookie of the year? candidate like like just a cute story right but, i thought about it i'm not gonna lie to you i've 100 thought about it i mean you at least have to can like you at least have to think of it to shut it down you know what yep. i mean like you have to think can he now probably not but wow what a season right so you have all that going on you're showcasing this young talent that you have you're showcasing other players like mike conley who you kept his uh, trade value up all throughout the season to the point you can make another trade and bring in more young assets and things like that clear books up a little bit. So I was really impressed with the combination of competitive nature, rebuilding, showcasing your talent while also being in the mix to get some really good young assets in this upcoming draft, Nathan. So they over exceeded my expectations. That bar was literally laying on the ground. So it wouldn't have taken that much to clear it, but they did it in shocking fashion this year. 
So let's lay out some of the facts in terms of yeah. where this team finished. Let's take a look at some of the pieces, the projected depth chart, and then we're going to get into the, the bread and butter, which is figuring out what does this team need and where Absolutely. can they go with their respective draft picks. So on the season, the team finished 23rd in adjusted net rating, 10th in adjusted offensive rating, and 23rd in adjusted defensive rating. That can give you a few hints as to where this conversation is probably going to go at some point. Mm-hmm. On offense, they finished 15th in effective field goal percentage, 28th, in turnover percentage, that that's not great. They do need to take care of the ball a little better. Fourth yeah. in offensive rebounding percentage, 14th in free throw rate, 12th in finishing at the rim, ninth on mid-range attempts, 20th from the three-point line, 11th in assist percentage, 14th in free throw percentage. So there's already a few categories there I can kind of piece together where at least I'm going to say there's mm-hmm. a need on their team. And then defensively, they were 13th in opponents effective field goal percentage, 7th in opposing uh finishing at the rim, 22nd in oppo- in opposing mid-range scoring, 17th in opposing three-point scoring, 30th in steal percentage, 11th in block percentage. So Steven, I rattled off a number of statistics at you. A- any one thing in particular kind of stand out to you in terms of where you feel like the team needs to go? I just how up and down across the board all of their collective <laughs> stats are like yeah. they're, they're really good in some aspects on one side of the floor, but they're way on the other end of the spectrum too. like the steals to blocks percentage one kind yep. of stuck yep. out to me a lot on the defensive end. So, I mean, you, you figure in the historic blocking percentage that Walker Kessler had for for Auburn last season and how immediately he kind of grafted in to, you know, grafted that aspect of his game to the NBA level was shocking, right? And then you look at the moves that they made where they brought in like a Colin Sexton who isn't like the best stills merchant in the NBA. And it was kind of weird how he was utilized, so to speak. And then Mike Conley too, like he's a solid defender, but he's not really like a, a real big point of attack guy. So not, not anymore. Really, he's not once upon yeah, not a time anymore. in Memphis, he was, but not anymore. Yep. Yeah. When he was actually considered like a tracks, like a legit track star, you know, and at the amateur level. Yep. So he, he could gamble and recover with the best of them, but now, you know, his, he's up there in age, you know, we talk about him like he's a grandpa, but you know, uh, in NBA terms, he he's up there in age. So I don't know just how diametrically opposed some of those stats were across the board. It just, it speaks to the the season overall where it's like, okay, you're a bad team, but you're playing good in moments. And like, you're, you kind of have like that up and down sine wave going on throughout the year based on those stats. I agree 100%. So yeah, to me, steal percentage stuck, stuck out as well. The fact that they aren't top 10 in assist percentage means they could probably use some help moving the ball around. Yep. And then 28th in turnover percentage. They, if you're going to be a playoff team in, in either conference, you have to be able to take care of the basketball, right? You can't keep giving the opposing team easy up and down possessions because when you feed into another team's transition game, like we actually saw the day that we're recording this, the end of that Grizzlies Lakers game was abysmal. Lakers went on a 15 to nothing run to close it out because Memphis just couldn't stop making mistakes with the ball, right? It was, it was easy day in terms of Anthony Davis or whoever it was just running out. And, And when you let that happen in regular season games and enough of them, those losses are going to pile up in a big way. So it tells me, this team has a glaring hole at the point of attack, right? They, they need mm. a floor general who can avoid making mistakes on one end and capitalize on forcing turnovers on the other end. So that's going to give you an idea possibly of where we're going to go with a few yeah. of these players. So 
by the stats, that's kind of where we feel, but by the projected depth chart, right? So players who are projected to be on the roster next year, Mm -hmm. barring trades, a few of these guys who we're going to list off do have player options. I would expect most of them to opt in. Yeah. Like Colin Sexton has a guaranteed contract, but Jordan Clarkson has a player option. He might be the one name where he, that could go either way. He might want to play for a quote unquote contender, maybe go to a different situation, but he could also very well opt in and remain with this Utah jazz team. We just don't know where it's going to go, but Lowry, they're going to, go yeah, ahead, they're going to want They're going to want to see where this new CBA is going and when it's going to be implemented. Yep. So not committing to too big of long-term when we're expecting this, you know, rush of, big contracts coming down yep. the pipe. They're not going to want to extend for too long. Exactly. An incentive to me, in my opinion, to, to take the player option and then yep. go into unrestricted free agency the next year. You have Larry Markkinen, as we talked about, at the fold of the three. Uh, Kelly Olenek and Walker Kessler are also locked in now. And then you have Chris Dunn, Ochai Abaji, Taylor Horton Tucker, Rudy Gay, Simone Fontecchio, and Damian Jones on the bench, right? So out of those guys... I mentioned Clarkson already as a player option. Talon Horton Tucker, Rudy Gay, and Damian Jones also have player options. Whether mm-hmm. those guys choose to come back or not, I don't think it necessarily changes the outlook of the team. I still feel like the Jazz have holes in particular that need to be filled. But right. just given where we're going with some of the stats we rattle off, Stephen, given how the roster construction looks, where do you feel like the Utah Jazz need to look in the draft? In terms of needs. Yeah, so in terms of needs before we get to the picks, I'm with you. I think backcourt play is going to be the biggest part. If you look at like Mm -hmm. where their best players are, I mean, granted, they do have Colin Sexton. I don't know how they view him based on the season that he had and kind of the weird usage where Chris Dunn was getting a lot of burn towards the end of the season. I don't know if that was to contribute with the uh, the lottery odds or or what have you, but (laughs) He was actually playing really well towards the end of the year. So um, I still think that the backcourt needs a little bit of help. I wouldn't be surprised if they did get a wing or two with one of these picks. Mm-hmm. I think with marketing and with Kessler and with Olenek, you're kind of satisfied with your front court depth. And especially with the turnovers, the assists, and the steals, you might want to address some of the holes that you have in that backcourt. So holistically, I think you want to address that part early. I think that this class is pretty deep on the wing. So maybe you address the guard play at the beginning of the draft. And as your picks start progressing, maybe you grab a wing or two um, towards the back end. I would agree with you in terms of needs. So this team has projected right now picks 9, 16, and 28. So you can mm-hmm. certainly, you can get a guard, you can get a wing. And then if you want to, at the back end of the first, there are some interesting young forwards that you could take a look at, maybe yeah. develop for the long term as you still have somebody like Kelly Olynyk around manning that four position and you have a few other combo forwards available on the roster. I would agree with you about the backcourt. Colin Sexton, bless his heart, I was a big Colin Sexton fan coming out of that draft, and he did when he was healthy this year when he played 48 games played, 14 points per game, fifty almost 51% from the field, 39 from three, 82 from the line, 61.6 true shooting percentage. Mm-hmm. Those are numbers that point to a guy who maybe he's going to fill in and be this Jordan Clarkson-like player for this Utah Jazz team long-term. Maybe that's that was their vision in giving him yeah. the contract extension that they did was that he could be the guy who comes off the bench, provides a change of pace, 
He, he, he is a bully at his position, despite his size and stature. He plays like a bully. He wants to be physical. He wants to get downhill, and he can change gears, and he can hit those pull-up jump shots either in the mid-range or from three. He's a scoring dynamo, but not a traditional point guard, not somebody who we would look to as he's going to be a floor general. He's going to take yeah. care of the ball, limit turnovers, and keep it moving for everybody else. The ball kind of stops with him. I like Ochai Obaji at that other yes. guard spot slash on the wing. I think we, you and I both like him long-term. He had a decent rookie season, shot almost 43% yeah. from the field, 35 and a half from three, 81 from the line. We know he's going to be a shooter long-term and somebody who, again, plays physical on the wing, can defend his position. I don't know if he's a versatile defender out there, so to speak, but I think twos and ones, certainly on the defensive end, and maybe as he continues to you know, grow into his frame. I know he's an older player, but still these guys all get bigger and stronger in the NBA, regardless of what age they come in at. Maybe he can be a, a one through three defender for this team as he continues to develop. And then you mentioned the front court. Yeah. Their front court situation is awesome, right? So yeah. you have, you have Walker Kessler who he's going to finish by the time everyone's listening to this podcast, unless you're an absolute sicko like Steven, who wakes up at three 30 <laughs> to listen to the podcast episodes, you're probably listening to it around the same time as my final rookie rank comes out, which was my all rookie first and second team ballots. If I were to have a ballot, how would I vote those ballots split up both those teams? Kessler finished third on that team, but I did have to think about him as a possible rookie of the year yep. candidate um, a, a, along with J-Dub. Paolo was my, my rookie of the year. He won that award for me. I think he probably won it in, in real life in yeah. terms of how the media voted. But Kessler was consistent all year long. And he was – I get that he's not this switchable big that, that NBA teams think that they want, but these elite deep drop coverage bigs – who can protect and put a lid on the rim and deter guys from coming to the basket like he can. They are so valuable in yes. winning big games. It's with, with somebody like Kessler, you have to be able to catch him off balance, right? And, and take space and also create from the mid range in that space. Because if you try to drive at Kessler, regardless of who you are, it seems like he can swallow you up whole and block that chart regardless of what kind of angle you attack him at, whether you go into his body, whether you try to contort and go around him. Kessler's going to get a hand on that shot. One of the best shot blockers that we had in the entire NBA, I believe fourth in total blocks across the entire NBA, which is remarkable for a rookie player. And then you have yeah. Markinen taking the jump on offense that he did, almost mm -hmm. 26 points per game, efficient shooting splits across the board. And Kelly Olynyk, another 6'10", 6'11", forward who can space. He can handle the ball a little bit in the half court, can do some stuff out of the short roll, triple handoff nice game, yeah. good passer. And you may not look at either of those two forwards besides Kessler and think these are legitimate stalwart standout defensive guys. But when you have a back line that's like all three of them are seven feet or close to seven <laughs> feet, the, the amount of space that they take up shrinks is, the floor. Yeah, exactly. It shrinks the floor to a point where if you have the type of guy at the point of attack that can better contain some of those drivers and ball handling opportunities for the opposing team, that floor really starts to shrink. And that's why if this team gets that type of lead guard, who can play the type of point of attack defense we want them to play. This Jazz team can be in the playoff mix next year. So mm -hmm. that's why I agree with you. I think they need to address that sooner rather than later. But 
we can go through some of our options we have at pick nine, yeah. Stephen. And, and and I asked to, to kind of take a look at four different names. Yep. There are two guards that I have in mind that the Jazz could take a swing on, but I, I actually don't feel like they need to take one at pick number nine if either of the right guys, in my opinion, are not on the board. I think they could actually address and, and, and fill some depth at the wing position and maybe swing back around at pick 16 and get another guard. And and, and we'll take a look at, at the names as we go through the picks, but maybe as we talk it out, maybe you'll kind of see where I'm going with that point as well. But I want to go to you first. Okay. Four names, right, who you picked as, as your top options for the Jazz at pick nine. I want to see how much overlap we have, any differences we'll discuss right off the bat. But who are the four guys that you chose for that pick in this exercise? All right, so all four of these are guards of some capacity. One of them okay. is a, is an off guard um, by nature. So the first one that I have, and I understand that like there's a lot of people at No Ceilings that like this guy. I think that he is like in top, like he's a top 10 guard, and that's Jalen Hushafino. Okay. And here's why I think that he is a great fit for the Jazz in particular, because we talked about the playmaking. We talked about the, uh, the link that they already have. I think that he kind of helps keep their lineups big, and he can play on or away from the ball. We saw him do that at Indiana, away from another front court dynamo and uh, Trace Jackson Davis. I think that the, the fact that he can, run the pick and roll as effect, as effectively as he can with the front court players that the Jazz already have on their team. Mm-hmm. I think that that is a really good spot for him to grow into one of these Tyrese Halliburton, um, Shea Gilgis-Alexander type of player. I'm not saying that he's going to be at that level, but you can kind of use him in similar fashions to where he can snake his way into the defense, get to his spots with ease, uh, score over the top of guys. And and still have the playmaking ability to make guys around him better. And I think with the the help around him defensively, that is actually going to help him grow and continue to be a better defender. I'm not expecting him to be a day one point of the attack guy, but through working out, through work ethic, through Coach Hardy, who I think is one of the, the best coaches in the NBA already in his debut year, I think that you can that he can be used in a lot of fun and intriguing ways. So I have Jalen Hushafino as my first option, the second guy for a lot of the same reasons, Anthony Black. But I think okay. that he is not as talented offensively as a scorer, but he can also snake his way into the defense. He can also get guys open. And I think that he gives you a little bit of a step above on the defensive side of the ball to address that point of attack defense that you were referencing earlier. So I have those two for um, first. My third option is Jordan Hawkins, because I think at – this kind of ninth range, uh, the floor spacing is going to open things up for guys like marketing. It's going to open the floor for effective dives to the basket by Walker Kessler. And I think too defensively, he can probably pick up a really good guard um, eventually over time. I don't think that he's going to be a day one guy, but I think his defensive flashes at UConn were sufficient enough to have me believing that he will be a good defender. And speaking of good defenders, the last one that I have is Kaysen Wallace. Now, the reason okay. why I have him fourth is because I don't know how big of a bag he has to do for himself. And I think Utah, if they're addressing the point guard spot, they're going to want a guy who can do more creation on his own. And that is like the one knock that I think that Kaysen Wallace has against him. Other than that, he's been a super steady, consistent player on both ends of the floor. He can space the floor. He's a better shooter than you think. He's a good slasher. 
He's a good rebounder and he's a heck of a defender, like the best pound for pound defender in this draft class. So those are my four, Nathan. We did not have a lot of overlap for our selections at pick nine. That that was awesome that you ran through those names. You started off with Jalen Huchifino and Anthony Black, and then Mm -hmm. you pivoted. I, I did not have either of those guys. In that, okay. in that top four for pick number nine. I did have Jordan Hawkins as a potential selection at pick 16 yeah. that, that we'll get to. So we did have some overlap there. And then I also had Cason Wallace in this grouping at pick number nine. So with Jalen hood Shafino, I like him. Mm-hmm. I've actually cooled off him a little bit. I've dropped him slightly down my board. I had him in like that late lottery range. I believe I slotted him now around like that 17, 18 mark. Okay. It's not that I don't think he can be a good player. I I worry when I go back and I watch some of the pick and roll stuff, right? We're projecting him as this high volume pick and roll type of guard. He can rise up in the mid range, got a really sweet looking stroke from that area on the floor. I get all of that stuff. And, and I do like guys who can take that space and make the most of it, but he falls a little too in love in my opinion, with that mid-range pull-up jump shot. And sometimes mm-hmm. it can get him burned. When when that shot's not falling for him, I don't think he goes or, or looks to, to read more levels of the defense and pass it away as often as I would like him to. And I think that gets in trouble from a missed shot perspective, from a turnover perspective. He wouldn't necessarily fix a lot of those woes for Utah coming in right away either. The thing about the counter to that, though, is to your point – He is a talented guard. I think he does have good passing vision. I think he can make those decisions. I think he just needs to trust those instincts more and, and sort of diversify his offensive attack a little bit more. Now, figuring that out. Big 10 floor spacing is, is the big thing that I have. Yeah. It's, it's not great. Right. Especially on that team where you're going to have two dedicated post players playing for Mike Woodson at Indiana. So there's a lot of like looking at what he did and like what could he do in a more open scheme. And especially with a creative guy like Coach Hardy, I think that that's like one of those ideal locations for a prospect that I am higher on. I, I will openly admit like I'm higher on than some than some others. Now, figuring that split out in the college game is hard enough. Yep. Now you're asking him to commandeer one of the tougher positions to play in the NBA and also make those types of adjustments to his game. That's going to require time and patience with his development. Can he find that time and patience in Utah? There's definitely a chance that this team looks to get a little younger and and offer that type of patience to someone like Jalen Puchifino. But for those particular reasons, on top of he needs to get back to being the type of player on defense that he showed that he can be at Montford, Mm -hmm. there are some things he needs to tie together to his game. But for those reasons, because those things aren't going to be there for him right out of the gate, I'm not sure you have to take him as high as nine, even if you have him, for example, Steven, you have him slot inside the top 10 on your board. I'm not sure the Jazz need to take him there if they like him as someone who they want to target. I actually think if they're looking to take a guard at pick 16 and maybe take a swing on like a wing earlier in the draft at pick nine, I think Huchifino mm-hmm. might be a good option for them at 16. But I kind of figured that you were going to bring him up in this conversation, which is why I didn't list him in, in, in my top four options. The other one is Anthony Black that you mentioned. I do still have a lottery-type grade on Anthony Black. I just worry if the shooting isn't there for him at all. 
Yeah. Right. How is he necessarily making the offense better? Because I get the passing, I get the vision, I get some of the aspects of his rim pressure, but if he's not able to attack the basket in the same way as he did in the SEC and he doesn't have that threat of a jump shot, defenses are going to be able to play him in a different way. They're going to be able to take some of those angles, some of those passing windows away, and they're going to force him to try and make some of those shots. And if he's not making those shots and he's missing them, you're walking away on that end with empty possessions. Then you're trying to sprint back and play defense on the other end. And I'm not as sold on his defense as, as some of the other people are. I had a great conversation on home and away with Chuck about Anthony Black, yeah. and he brought up some of the defensive concerns about how I don't feel like he gets over screens well. I don't like the way that he flips his hips trying to contain a drive or, or, or combat a counter. There are some things about his perimeter defensive game I don't love. Now, we could look back in three years, and he is one of these perfect connector types in the end game. We go, why didn't yeah. we draft this guy in the top 10? I completely get that. I'm just not at this current moment in time comfortable with his valuation to where I would take him inside the top 10. And, and I'm not saying that you have the wrong opinion on him, Steven. Again, I could perfectly see him coming back to bite me in the rear end. And he's this guy who I should have valued more on my draft board. But I'm just explaining why I didn't have him as a target at the ninth pick. So we discussed. I think that's names. fair. Oh, go I ahead, think Steven, if you have some rebuttal. Yeah, just just real quick. I think that's fair. The one thing that I think that we both try to do every draft is like, okay, what what did we miss? What do we know that is working? Like, what is the trend that is that is proving to be right more so than not? For Jalen Huchafino and Anthony Black, we have examples of guys who weren't the best shooters, weren't the best defenders, but because they're big and they have good feel, Plus they find size, ways yeah. to succeed. Yeah. So like look at Josh, like look at Josh Giddy. Look mm -hmm. at Tyrese Halliburton. Look at LaMelo Ball. Like all these dudes with glaring deficiencies in their game, but because they're big and they see the floor well and they process the game at a different level than everybody else, like those guys are just finding ways to succeed in the NBA now. And that is kind of baked into my evaluation for both of them. They, they, they certainly are. So I see the arguments for both. We discussed them. We discussed Case and Wallace. So yep. three names that I had written down for this pick that you did not have written down. He may very well not be available in this range, but okay. we've seen crazy things happen on draft night to where these guys who we project to go in the top three, top five, top seven, sometimes they fall a little bit. Maybe they're available yeah. towards the back end of the top 10. We've discussed the San Antonio Spurs as a great okay. for this guy. I okay. actually think this is the other place in the top 10 where it, if I'm looking at a men Thompson, this is where I actually think he might make some sense, right? So you want to put the ball in his hands, right? You want him to yeah. be the, this downhill playmaker for others to take advantage of his court vision, of his passing instincts. His ability to pressure the rim is up there with somebody like an Anthony Black as well, except the men Thompson's an even better athlete than somebody like Anthony Black. And then putting pressure on opposing defenses at the point of attack, this guy wants to get up in your grill. He wants to defend you as soon as you cross half court. And he has those quick hands, that length, that timing to be able to take the ball away from you, force steals, get out on the other end. So to me, a guard like Amen Thompson, if he's hitting his absolute upside, he mm -hmm. can return potential top three value in this draft class. Top two, maybe, if he but, hits his absolute top ceiling, yeah. Potentially top two. We, we've talked about that multiple times and no ceilings. And he can be this guy where, especially if more of the offensive game comes around for him, let's say he does continue to improve 
on his jump shot. Let's see he is a, a, a threat in the paint, not just right around the basket three feet and in, but back out towards the free throw line. Maybe he's hitting more floaters with regularity. My only real concern with taking him and making this bet long-term is the turnovers are a problem. He averaged yep. over three per game with overtime elite, not in a college league, mm-hmm. with overtime elite against other prep-level talent. That's a major concern, and it's not its not that overtime elite has bad talent. I actually think that's far from the truth. They have great talent right. in that program. But sometimes Amen Thompson wasn't exactly involved in the prettiest basketball either. Yeah. Like some of those games and some of the decisions and plays that he was involved in were really tough to watch. And so you, you have to bake some bad habits out of him for sure. Yeah. So just like with a Jalen Huchifino or an Anthony Black, converting a man to playing point guard in the NBA, you have to be patient with him as well. But to me, the upside would warrant looking at him if he fell to number nine and saying, we have a potential hole at starting point guard. Why not bring in one of the most talented players in the draft and, and see what we can make with him? My other two names were wings. I brought up Bryce Sensabaugh out of Ohio okay. State, which is a guy who Maxwell and I, and, and I think even Corey to an extent, we, we all have him inside of our top 10 pretty comfortably. Mm-hmm. I've flirted with, with moving up Bryce Sensabaugh a little more on my board. I have him at nine right now. He's one of the most pure scoring and shooting wings we have in this draft. And how often do we actually get to marry the terms shooter and score? We do mm. get to do that with Bryce Sensabaugh. He is a legitimate three-level scorer, one of the best shooters we have in this class, whether it be catch and shoot, spot-ups, off movement. You can run him off different actions. You can have him handling the ball at the top. He has a little bit of wiggle to create, separate in the mid-range, rise up for those shots. He wasn't tremendous at getting to the basket but when he got to the rim he showed me enough examples on film despite the percentage of being in the 48th percentile at the rim he showed me enough examples on film with his size with his frame with his touch i do Mm -hmm. like him as a scorer at the basket as well so i may be able to draft a potential number one or number two scoring option not that he's going to be the best player on a championship team but i may be able to get a guy who has scoring upside akin to one of those top one or two options, I'm able to get him at a pick number nine. And then you can build out a lineup with, let's say Kelly Olenek walks in a year. You move Lowry Markin and down to the four. You have Kessler at the five. You have somebody who, for everyone who wants to talk about Bryce Sensabaugh's glaring weakness on the defensive end, if you're really that concerned about Sensabaugh on defense, you probably want a rim protector like Walker Kessler behind him to clean up some of those mistakes. And then you can play him alongside other options at the guard spot. So Bryce Sensebaugh would be a great name for me. And, and then Jet Howard is somebody who yeah. I'm sure people are going to talk about him. His stock seems to fall. Maybe he's available in that 16 range as well, given how some some scouts and analysts are, are mocking the draft and how it's going to go. Big wing, six foot eight, 14 points per game score. Still, despite some of the struggles due to the the, the double ankle injuries. Still shot the ball incredibly well from the field, rated out incredibly well on multiple different percentiles per synergy. I'm buying the shooting. I'm buying the touch. I'm buying the secondary playmaking upside, and I'm buying him growing as a defender as he continues to fill out that frame of his because he's already big now, and he's going to only get bigger in the future as he spends more time in the NBA. So, Steven, what are your thoughts on – me throwing out a Men Thompson as a possibility for that pick, as well as if the Jazz were to look at wing, 
with pick number nine, do you like both of the options that I selected there? All right, so I'm going to start with the men Thompson, and I think that you brought up a really great point. Is like he would have to fall past teams like San Antonio and the Washington Wizards, and I think they select him based on whether or not like who's available at, at the moment that they're drafting. Cause I do think that those are two really good. Amen Thompson uh, destinations that might end up coming before Utah, but I have, I haven't even thought about Amen Thompson in Utah, but I think that it's a, it's a great thing to, to consider. It's a, it's a reasonable mm-hmm. outcome because there are people who have become disenchanted with him over the season. I mean, a lot of us at no ceilings were like, yeah, he's the third or fourth best dude on in this class. And like over time, no, no pun intended, but, but over time he has slid down a lot of our boards. But I think at a certain point that at nine, if you're drafting a dude who some people think is like second or third, like there's a lot of safety in your job security with that. And then there's also the potential that those other people are looking and seeing at him as well and then again you know like i said the same thing same things for jhs and ab is that size and processing and court vision are one of those things that succeed in the nba so why not take him there i'm gonna skip bryce and i'm gonna go to jet howard i do like i do like jet as a as an option to consider i don't have him on any of my lists um but i do like the ability for him to come in and be a shooter floor spacer and also provide some secondary tertiary playmaking going back to Bryce I'm not as in on him as some of these other guys but I was in on him enough to include him in my range of four for 16 there we go so okay commonality. I, I, it, yeah so commonality there I did have Bryce here because like you said they have a guy who let's say they want to start Colin Sexton because they paid him and we already addressed the front court right Let's say Oshai Baji is just a really good shooter, but doesn't have um, good playmaking on his own or anything like that. Like getting to his, like getting his own baskets easily, that's something that Bryce Sensabaugh can do. And I think that if you get him at sixteen, um, if you get him at nine too, like you're still getting the same player on the same team, right? But yep. I do like the ability for him to to get to his spots. Um, he can make tough shots. He can make open shots as well, um, showing a little bit of versatility in his shot portfolio. And like you mentioned, too, if you're worried about the defense, like what better way to make up for it than having one of the best young shot blockers in the entire league lined up behind him. So I have him in my field of four for 16. Um, Nathan, if you don't mind, I can go through the other three. Yeah, who are, who are your other three names that you have in, in your field of 16? Yeah, so I have Gigi Jackson, another guy who could okay. um, be a – you get him at 16, but if everything breaks right, like everyone's looking crazy for passing on him and him falling that far. I, I, I have him in my field of four for, for that end of the first round pick. Just because of where he's fallen in that range on my personal yeah. board, he may very well end up going inside the top 20, but we do we do share some common ground in terms of bringing him up for the Jazz in this exercise. Yeah, and I think it's fun too because Utah can kind of be like the Orlando of the West, right, where they're just like, let's just get all these big dudes with length that can – do a little bit of everything with the ball in their hands. And Gigi kind of gives them that same thing. Now, the the Instagram video didn't go so hot. The body language stuff didn't go so hot. And because of that, his star has fallen a little bit. But I do think that some of the stuff that this young man can do with the ball in his hands at his position, at his size, at the end of the day, you got to say, man, like he's, if we were drafting him next year, and where, where he reclassified away from, we're probably taking him top five, top 10 yep. in that draft. And then at this draft, if we can get next year's top 10 pick at 16, like that's a, that's a good hit. Right. And we have him at a young age, we're developing him. We got him in Utah where 
there's not going to be a lot of bright lights and distractions and stuff like that. We can really just get him to focus solely on basketball. And again, coach like Will Hardy, I think that he would be a good coach for a player like that. Is this one of those situations where Gigi Jackson might look at and say, in terms of the player that I want to be, is this one Mm -hmm. of those situations where he could look at this and say, this might be a good fit for me because you have Kessler right on that back line, right? Covering up a lot of the mistakes of Gigi's playing more out on the perimeter defensively. And then with him offensively, you have a guy in Lowry Markin and who can space the floor, but also play from multiple spots on the floor. You have Kessler as sort of like that, that dunker spot type finisher. It opens up another spot on the wing for Gigi Jackson to embrace that, that, you know, I want to take all these shots off the dribble. I want to be this big wing type of shot maker. Like, is this one of those situations for Gigi that, might actually play to his strengths in terms of how he wants to develop as a player. I think so. And again, like if you're, if you're taking a guard early and then, or a wing early, especially if you're taking a wing early and then you take Gigi here, like he can do a lot of the on ball stuff that he wants to do so long as coach Hardy allows him to. And he also has um, a a good mentor and Kelly Olenek at his same position that he can like kind of trade, you know, to like, tips and tricks and stuff like that and go to war with each other in practice and just make him a better player overall in a little bit of a pressure cooker situation when they're, when they're lined up across from each other. But I like Gigi um, as a potential Utah jazz at 16 Uh, next two names. I think that you're really going to like one of them, but I got Max Lewis here. Okay. Um, I think he kind of gives you a lot of the same things that you were talking about with jet Howard at the ninth pick. You kind of get the same thing. At 16 with Max, I think that he's going to be available in this range. Tremendous shooter, like broke all kinds of shooting models, like very early on at the beginning of the year. Good slasher, great guy too, from all accounts, everything that we've read and we've seen from the interviews that he's had with Maxwell on our team here. And I think that he's probably better at a lot of other areas in his game. It's just that Pepperdine was very young and learning and growing together. There wasn't a lot of vets on that squad, so he can come to a team where he won't be one of the older guys in the room and won't have to be the guy setting the example for everybody else. Like he'll be in a great learning environment. So I think that that would be really good for him. And then the last guy, Nathan, Bilal Koulibaly, I think would be a tremendous, (laughs) would be a tremendous fit here. He was my number, number one guy in this range of of 16, (laughs) right? So like if I'm, if I'm taking a guard with one of, with that pick number nine, for example, let's say I'm buying into Case and Wallace or Anthony Black or Hood Shafino, and I'm looking at the wing spot to fill out some depth here. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at Bilal Koulibaly and I'm saying, why the heck not? Right. So why don't you explain to me, you know, where you're at on his, because I, I know that I've skyrocketed him up my board but actually you i haven't talked with you a lot about him like where no. do you sit on cool right now so i'm kind of playing off of his last name i'm kind of cool on cool but he <laughs> is slowly rising on my board i actually have him in my first round now i'm kind of circling through my international film there's some other guys that i know that i'm gonna have ranked lower than cool but i want to watch them first like i'm i'm a big morauskas fan um so I've been watching him a lot lately. I'm trying to get to James Najee here again soon to kind of um, my end of season review on him. And then Koulibaly's next. Now, the things that I have seen from him, like super crazy athlete, um, good defender, uh, brings up a lot of that like steals percentage uh, issues that I think that you have. He's got great size for his position. I think that he can guard one through three um, if everything breaks right. Mm-hmm. And then he's a good slasher, good cutter. Uh, competes like crazy on the glass 
And I think, too, that if he can get that three-point shot to be a reliable weapon, then he is going to be probably one of the biggest steals in this upcoming draft if people don't start catching up on him. So uh, you could do a lot worse than a player like that I just described at 16. So I think that he might end up being uh, – he might kind of be the top guy in my field of four like by the end of this month when I go back and watch him some more. I've moved Koulibaly to 12th on my personal mm. big board. I have zero regrets about it. I think I, it's not that I think that consensus is going to catch up to where I am and, and put him as high, you know, on a consensus big board as I have him. But I do think a number of scouts are going to start moving him it's into that closer. top 20 range. What he's done dominating in the junior division. First of all, yep. it helped him get time now to play up with Victor Weminyama. Now he's getting eyes on him all the time as NBA.com and everywhere else is streaming all of Victor's games. Yep. They want the exposure to be on him. He's also benefiting from that exposure. But in that junior division, almost 22 points per game, six rebounds, two and a half assists, 2.6 steals, 1.2 blocks, efficient shooting splits across the board, a 29 PER and a 62.7 true shooting percentage. That 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 is dominance. On, yeah. on the wing, Steven, in, in an overseas league, I get it's the junior division, but that if you're putting up those numbers, no matter where you're playing, I'm going to look at you as a potential prospect. I like, I'm going to look at those numbers and say, wow, I need to go watch the film on this guy. Like what, what, what am I seeing from the tape? Why can't he be a prospect who ends up higher on my board? And he's done just that six foot six wing. Some of the best footwork I've seen from a wing in my time of evaluating the draft is Euro step is, is second to none. It's awesome. He can make guys miss. He can finish through contact. He can finish away from contact. The pull-up jump shot's starting to come around for him. He needs to speed that puppy up in terms of his spot-up three-point shot. Yep. But I think if he can if he can speed up his shot, get a little bit more consistent, more comfortable with it, you're looking at a, a potential three-level scoring wing with the tools, with the discipline, with the high feel for the game, his understanding of sets, how to play within an offense, how to impact the game defensively on the perimeter, help block shots from the weak side, play passing lanes. The number of boxes that he checks, the, the, too, too many boxes that he checks for me to not include him at this point inside the lottery on my board. So you brought up a lot of great names. You talked about Jordan Hawkins potentially for your pick number nine. All the reasons you outlined for him at nine, that's why I would have him certainly in my range of prospects to consider in that 16 slot. Could you imagine the the DHO sets that he could be a part of with Kelly Olenek and Lowry Markkinen, right? Insane. And that would yeah. be absolutely insane. Like the ways that the, that him with either of those guys could work defense is because of the shooting gravity that they both would have. To me, listen, the Jazz ranked in the bottom third of the league in three-point shooting per a lot of the numbers I read off at the start thanks to dunks and threes. Adding a, the best shooter in the draft, like Jordan Hawkins, to me, with one of those picks, yeah, would absolutely be a no-brainer if he's available. Spain sets, flare sets, yep. you know, all of those, like, pass it to you, pass it back, reset, you know, yep. like, all the shifty moves that a that an off-ball player can do, he can do it. And I, he can. that's why I, that's why I considered him as high as, like, the ninth pick. Um, uh, you know, he was not the top of that, of that field of four, but... Definitely in consideration. I don't fall. I mean, I understand why you have him at 16. It's just that when I'm looking at players who I think that can help Utah, like I would consider him as high as nine, but it sure. looks like we're in alignment of the type of player that he could be and how he fits on a Utah team. I can understand that too. It's it's only because yeah. I have him at 14 on my board. So even like yeah. in the 16 range, it's technically we're, we're projecting, I'm projecting him to be gone at this yeah. point, but in this type of range, 
yeah, I'm going to slot him there. And to if your he's point there, about, you're like, running to the podium. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And to your point about like the, the give and go type of stuff. Yeah. He turns the corner much better than, than I initially thought. And that's mm-hmm. what's driving like the, the DHO and the pick and roll growth, right? When he catches that yep. ball, he can turn that corner and get all the way to the rim. I get that he doesn't really have the in-between game unless he's stopping and popping for a mid-range shot, right? He was one of 13 on the year on runners, and that's definitely a part of his game that needs to improve. But if he's able to turn that corner, get all the way to the basket, and then offer the shooting versatility that he does in the perimeter, yeah, why isn't that a complimentary piece that you want to look at? I actually like the Max Lewis selection that you made, Stephen. I had had Ryan Rupert as my last guy here. And and I I really thought about the Max Lewis spot though. And I think I'm actually coming up a little more on Max Lewis in relation to repair. Yeah. A lot of the offensive numbers for repair. And I get it. He was playing in the NBL. He was playing in a professional league, right? We, we need to to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. Yeah. Tough in Australia, the physicality of that game, him playing up another level of competition. I get all of it the offense does concern me to a certain extent. I think there's plenty of growth that can be had because of his prior skills. I loved watching the interview that Rafael Barlow did with him when repair is yep. talking about his growth from, you know, being a point guard because of how small he was for, for lack of a better term to where yep. now he's like a six, seven, six, eight wing with plenty of length that that's, that's what he's looking to be is like a secondary ball handler, like a spot up guy. The fact that he could potentially come back to more of those skills and bake them into his game with all the defensive versatility he provides. All those wings out West, man. Like you got to have someone who can pick them up. You got to have someone who can pick them up. Absolutely. And so repair could be that guy. But to your point with Lewis, the offensive growth that he did show this year on top of, I've said this multiple times, but it still holds true to me now. When I watched Lewis, it's like he doesn't know how good he can be on right. the basketball court yet. And and to an extent, that's scary because if you want him to develop in the NBA, you want him to be able to play those minutes. But at the same time, that also speaks to just how high his upside can be. And there are people who still want to hold on to a lottery level grade for Max Lewis. Mm-hmm. I don't fault them for that, right? Did, 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 did he always look like he knew what he was doing out there? No. Did, or is there some of his game that's going to need to differ a little bit in terms of the, the volume and certain shot types? Like, are, is Max Lewis always going to be involved in, like, the mid-post area, like, like looking to hit those turnaround fadeaway shots as many times he did in college? Probably not. But he did show some growth as a catch-and-shoot guy, right? I believe he rated out of the 90th or 91st percentile on catch-and-shoot shots. He Something finished, stupid, yeah. <laughs> finished well enough around the basket, and then he's another one of these six, seven wings. So he has the length, he has the skill to be able to defend on the perimeter. So if he hits his stride as a two-way wing, that's the type of player that NBA teams want. I think because of where the shooting projection currently lies, I can absolutely see myself talking talking and talking and making that pick with max lewis over someone like repair and then the last guy that i had picked out for this selection if we went wing with the first pick around i mentioned you may Mm -hmm. be able to swing back and get a guard here at 16 how about kobe bufkin how about him utah jazz man i considered him too yeah I, I really like Kobe Bufkin's game. And if we're going to take a point guard who we know is going to need some time and some seasoning to, to further develop at that position, why not take the, the 6'4 and your 6'5 guard? He put up good numbers in the Big Ten, was more efficient on offense than we'd probably want to give him credit for. If the jump shot was his biggest weakness last season, he still finished average to good within those play yep. types 
per synergy on top of his high level rim finishing on top of his cutting ability. He can play on the ball. He can play off the ball. And then defensively, you talk about someone who's going to go at somebody else at the point of attack and provide some value there for a Utah jazz team that we ran through the numbers. They clearly need a, a stronger element to that part of their game. Why not look at somebody who can develop for you like a Kobe Bufkin? And that's why he might actually be my top choice my I, not not my my top choice for guards in this range, but yeah. potentially my second choice for a pure guard in in this range, whether it's nine all the way through sixteen. I, I still like Kaysen better than Kobe Bufkin. I think Kaysen has a skill level that sometimes goes underrated. Right, he's not yes. the flashiest guy. Maybe he's not as explosive as you'd want him to be in terms of his first step and getting by guys. But when he gets to his spots. He's efficient from so many different areas on the yep. floor to where you look at, he's not really lacking in any one particular area from a skills perspective. He may not be as scalable of a defender as, as some people would like to bill him as, but he's only got your holiday comp, but I am confident he's going to be able to guard in the backcourt. So why not look at that type of two-way guy? I see Kobe Bufkin as that type of player, except Kobe Kobe Bufkin might actually end up being better even than somebody like a case of all. So that'd be like my main sleeper at that 16 range. What do you think about Bufkin's game? I considered him, man. And like the reason that I didn't take him is like, I listed a a lot of guards nine um, for them. But I mean, who's to say that by the end of this, that Bufkin doesn't rise up to that in, in contention for the ninth spot. I mean, this, this draft is so deep. It's crazy at guard and on the wing that you could end up with a guy like Kobe Bufkin at 16. And based on, you know, the pressure and, and the position that some of these other guards are put in, you can get a Kobe Bufkin who has experience playing through a big man and Hunter yep. Dickinson through Michigan. So a lot of the same kind of carryover from his college days are going to exist in the NBA. Like that could be a, a pretty good transition for him. Again, playing with a really good, young, brilliant minded coach in a low expectation, developmentally centric environment. Like Kobe Bufkin couldn't end up smelling like roses compared to all these other guards, just based on falling to a place like Utah at 16. He could. So we're going to take a really quick break. When we come back, we're going to run through our options that we have for the Utah Jazz at pick 28. All right, we are back. So, Steven... Why don't you give me the four names that you would want to target for pick 28? We should be moving to some different names now in yeah. a different range. You you talked about one of mine already in Gigi Jackson, but who are some of your others that you have in this range? Yeah, so like if they haven't addressed the guard spot yet, I just gave him one here at 28 with Marcus Sasser. I think okay. the winning mentality that he has, his floor Good spacing, name. his point of attack defense um, are, are great things to consider there. Uh, Chris Murray, just for his floor spacing and his defensive versatility that he showed at Iowa, I think at 28, a uh, really good player to bring in and grow alongside some of these other good front court players. Uh, City Sissoko, who a guy who friend of the program. Common um, ground. I, common ground. Great. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the floor vision. I like the floor spacing that he started to show later on towards the season. I love the defensive intensity, the physicality, the rebounding, some of the grab and go stuff that he can do. I like him a lot as a four in the NBA, but um, at Utah, he could probably play some three or four depending on who's in the lineup. So he gives you some more versatility on that aspect. And then his Ignite partner, Leonard Miller, I'm pretty sure that Maxwell is going to be 
happy to hear that one. It sounds like you are too. Um, just tremendous competitor. gives them more length, more ball handling, some more grab and go potential there. And a, just a guy who's going to do everything at a hundred percent, despite probably not being the best shooter uh, in this class, but just another try hard and Utah is full of try hard. So he's a great locker room fit for them. I love it. I love some of the names that you threw out, particularly the Sasser one. If for whatever reason, they wouldn't go for a guard up top. Maybe they do mm-hmm. want to fill out with, with two wings or a wing and a forward. You go guard at the back end. You can get a guy like Marcus Sasser, who he is one of these two way players, right? We talked about yep. rating 30th in steal percentage, right? Not having a ton of guys up top who can force turnovers for you. Marcus Sasser is one of those hellish defenders at the guard spot. He can add to that, right? He is a perimeter shot maker. He can create his own shot. He doesn't need someone else to create a look for him. And then CD Sissoko, I told you we found common ground on. Absolutely. If the Jazz are not going to go with one of these lineups where you have a traditional point guard manning that slot more often than not, that means you need other guys at these different positions who can keep Mm -hmm. that ball moving and flowing within the offense. We have one of those forwards in Kelly Olynyk, who has proven throughout his career. He's one of these guys. You can have him at playing playmaking out of the post. You can involve him in short roles, DHO actions up top. He can find guys, but then CD Sissoko, when he catches the ball and he gets it moving downhill, he's one of these wings in this class who can find guys off a live dribble. So I do like the passing element he brings as well. The improved corner three point shooting as the United season went on. You talked about the defensive versatility at six, seven, six, eight with his length being able to body up certain position groups he's certainly one of those versatile wings they can look to target two names that you didn't mention that i had down i do think derek whitehead's probably going to be gone okay by this point but if for whatever reason he would continue to fall as he had as he has on some mocks i would absolutely consider him in this range does he necessarily yeah. help you on the defensive side of the ball no but does he make you better on offense and turn three-point shooting, as with some of these other names, into a potential strength? Yes, he does. I, I wasn't sold on him as being this nuclear type of wing shooter coming into the season. I get that he didn't take as many shots as we'd probably want to see from him from a volume perspective to properly evaluate where his range lies. But on the attempts he got, Steven, he was a very effective, not only three-point shooter, but just dribble jump shot guy, catch and shoot guy, spot up guy in general, rates out very well according to the synergy percentiles. And then one other forward I wanted to throw out there, if you're in a situation like Utah where you can afford to have, give some guys time to develop, why not take a swing at somebody like a Noah Clowney as well, right? Love Out of it. Alabama, one of the youngest players we have in this draft class, a guy who, if he hits his ceiling and hits his stride, one of these mobile four men who could play a little bit of small ball five for you, protect the rim, right? Help deter guys away alongside of Walker Kessler, or maybe even in place of as a backup to Walker Kessler. And then if the jump shot works out for him, I get that the results weren't there immediately this season, but in some of his best games, when he's knocking down that three point shot, having one of these stretch forwards who can cover a bunch of ground on the defensive end, that's, that's a lot of what NBA teams want. So those were, those were some of my names that I select as well. Any, any of those stick out to you? I mean, they both do, man. Like Dariq Whitehead might end up being like the most slept on dude in this class based off of injury alone, right? Like Duke was a weird, Duke was a weird situation. Keeping it weirder is like a lot of dudes are coming back to the exact same spot in Duke. Um, but Dariq Whitehead, I think, is he could end up being one of these dudes that we see in the NBA time and time again come into the season with you know preseason top five, top ten type of uh, consideration. 
due to scenarios um, outside of his control fall out of favor and end up still being that level yep. of, of a player. So you could do a heck of a lot worse at 28 for it than him. And then I like Noah Clowney for a lot of the same things that you said. I've, I've said it. I'll keep saying it till I'm blue in the face. I love how Alabama used him as a short role playmaker. So when yep. that whatever team he goes to, if he's the role man making passes out of the short role to an open guy in the corner, that might be how he makes a living in the NBA. So just helps your team continue to keep humming you know, on the second unit. And, and they don't really have another forward like him on the roster either, right? You you have a pure backup big in Damian Jones who can can accept that player option. He can be back on the team next year. But outside of that, you know, Fontecchio, he's not really that type of rim protector, right? Taylor Horn Tucker and Rudy Gear combo forwards not really adding that that type of backline rim protection on the defensive side. And then you, yep. you get that value along with his floor spacing. I actually, I didn't mention the short roll playmaking, but I'm really glad that you brought it up. That was a really interesting part of his development at Alabama. Yeah. Just adding another player like that, something they don't currently have on the roster who can grow into more long-term as he develops. I think that would certainly be of their benefit if they didn't go the direction of like a GG Jackson, for example, like a little earlier on. Exactly. Anything that we didn't hit on for the Utah Jazz, you think we covered a lot of ground? I'm sure that there are, but for those who are listening and, and wondering, like just hit us up on our socials that we'll plug at the end of the episode, and we'd be more than happy to talk with you about them. Absolutely. So let's move to Indiana, where we, we will move through some of their back end of the draft picks in short order. We'll go a little rapid fire through some of those, but we do want to spend yeah. enough time with the Pacers because they are another one of these lottery teams. They're currently in position for the eighth overall pick. They finished 35 and 47 on the year. They also own picks 26, 29, 32, and 55. So plenty of names we can continue yep. to bring up in conversation for the Pacers as well. Just to give you a little bit of a stats perspective for the Pacers, they were 25th in adjusted net rating, 15th in adjusted offensive rating, 26th in adjusted defensive rating, fifth in pace. I think that's yeah. really important in terms of their style of play, how they might operate choosing some names within the NBA draft. Offensively, 16th in effective field goal percentage, 21st in turnover percentage, 18th in offensive rebounding percentage, 15th in free throw rate, 28th in finishing at the rim, 17th in mid-range shooting, 11th in three-point shooting, so a, a, a better three-point shooting team than what we just talked about the Jazz, 4th mm. in assist percentage, Tyrese Halliburton plays a big part into that, as we know. And they then play 13. 17 guards, too, so that helps. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do, which which <laughs> we're going to talk about some of them. And then 13th yeah. in free throw percentage defensively, 23rd in opposing effective field goal percentage, 8th in opposing uh, field goal percentage at the rim, 21st in opposing mid-range shooting, 25th in opposing three-point shooting, 11th in steal percentage, 3rd in block percentage. So I ran through a lot of numbers, Stephen, Anything in particular that stands out to you as far as the Pacers and, and where they finish relative to your expectations? So I, I thought that they were going to be kind of like middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference just because that's what they do. Um, they fell a little bit past that, but it's good that they're able to address a lot of roster concerns because I think that the numbers speak to exactly how this roster is built. They are good at the – they. They have like a snake, right? Like the head and the tail. There's like the middle. There's no arms, legs, nothing, right? Yep. So you you need some wings. You you need some forwards. And I think that that's what we're going to be addressing uh, between the both of us, you know, when we make their picks later. But their, their stats specifically speak to where they are positionally and where their strengths and weaknesses are within those groups. 
they're a team where if they play to their strengths and how they want to play within the game, right? So I mentioned that they were fifth in pace, that that plays yeah. into how they wanted to defend, right? They weren't one of these teams who wanted to, to body you up and hold you down in a certain spot and make you dribble out the shot clock. They wanted to keep the pace of the game up. That's why they were 11th in steal percentage and third in block percentage, right? They, they wanted to force guys to either take shots or make a mistake with the ball to get out on the break, or you had guys on the back end like Miles Turner, Isaiah Jackson, just jumping out of the gym, or in yep. Turner's case, he's just that big to swat away shots, period, to yep. get them going on the other end of the floor. And then playing at that high pace, they shot a lot above, above the break threes. They wanted to get to the rim off some of those drives pretty quickly. So when they play to their strengths, they were a formidable offensive team to deal with. But the problem was when you gamble a lot, and you play that style of defense, that's the big that's the big reason why they finished 26 and adjusted defensive rating. Right. Yep. They're there. If you're going to take a lot of risks, that means you're going to give up a lot of points on that end as well. And when your offense isn't humming as you would like it to on some nights, that's where that difference is going to come into play and ultimately why they, they lost a, a number of games, particularly as they got later into the year. It, it's really tough to play at the type of pace that they do and keep that going for 82 games. And then, oh, by the way, if you're fortunate enough to make the playoffs, keep up that style of basketball in the postseason, which is a challenge in and of itself because we know the game slows down in the yep. postseason anyway. So the good news for the Pacers, though, when you look at their projected depth chart, projected depth chart, excuse me, they have a number of interesting young pieces to build yep. around for the future. We know who the star of the team, the team is. Tyrese Halliburton only played in 56 games this year due to a few injuries, but when he was healthy, he was one of the best guards in the NBA, period. Nearly 21 points per game, 10.4 assists per game, 49-40-87 shooting splits, a 23.6 PER, and a 62.4 true shooting percentage. When he was coming out of Iowa State, Stephen, we saw him as more of a connective tissue piece. We didn't see him as this type of takeover shot maker who not only dictated the pace of the game by his passing, but also by his shooting. That step-back three-point shot or that step-back jumper going to his right is a nearly unguardable shot for him, something where I didn't expect him to develop a go-to move like that, but because he did, he has mm -hmm. something in his bag that he can always go to. And then that threat of the jump shot allows him to take space inside the arc and make the most of it, whether it's from a scoring perspective or a playmaking perspective. One of the best developmental stories I think we've seen out of a guard in recent memory. But as you mentioned, they play a lot of guards. You have Andrew Nemhard next to him, who yep. I – I was very close to actually having Nemhard on my first team all rookie. I, I ended up slotting him in sixth. I actually slotted him in ahead of Benedict Matherin, who I'll get okay. to in a second. It's wild because for, for most of the season, Matherin was like a second or your second choice for like potential rookie of the year, right? Yeah. But what Nemhard did from start to finish, not only did he command a role within the offense as a secondary ball handler, or even a primary point guard at times yeah. when, when someone like a Halliburton was out. He was he was a really good defensive guard for a rookie. I'm not saying he was like an all-defense type player, sure, yeah. but for a rookie, he was taking on some of the toughest defensive assignments that anyone on the perimeter could on a night-to-night -night basis. One through three, he was taking the best matchup on the other team, and, and he actually did a remarkable job in guarding them. So he had to take over some nights as a scorer, playmaker, and defender as a rookie. But when you're six foot five and you're built like him and you're as long as he is, 
you're going to have the chance to do that on a night-to-night basis. So it's not it's not just the counting stats and the raw production, Stephen, but in terms of what he was asked to do from a role perspective and a responsibility perspective, and the fact that he still played in a lot of games himself, played in 75 games this year, that's yep. why I had him one spot ahead of Matherin. But that's not to take away from Matherin because – he was also an Ironman of sorts, played in 78 games for the Pacers, averaged almost 17 points per game. The reason why I wasn't as high on Matherin towards the end of the year, and, and maybe you'll have a different opinion than I do. I know you certainly liked him coming out of the draft. Job yes. well done by you, by the way, as a scout, because he certainly was one of the, the top seven. You can argue him higher in terms of the rookies that played this year. I didn't see the level of growth in his game from start to finish that I think I wanted to. I didn't see enough yeah. growth from him as a defender. I didn't see enough growth from him as a playmaker. The the live dribble passing was something he actually got better at his second year at Arizona that I thought would translate yep. more into the NBA. He was strictly an off-ball player. I get that he was a scorer. I get that he was a shooter. He thrived in multiple off-ball play types, but I just didn't see the type of growth from him from start to finish to, to have him firmly in that all-rookie first team. Does that take away from his ceiling? No, because... He's still a, a, a bouncy guard slash wing himself. In time, he's going to be able to consistently create his own shot. He's going to be one of the top three scorers on your team, and he's likely to be a starter for the Pacers next year. So he's still a really interesting building block moving forward. And then they extended Miles Turner. They still have him in the mix as their floor spacing, rim protecting big man who fits perfectly into what the Pacers are doing, right? They, they want to play with pace. They want to yep. have the court open and spread at all times so that you can create those driving lanes and those passing windows. Turner does that for you. So they have a bunch of different positions covered, and then you still have veteran guys like Buddy Heald, like Aaron Neesmith, like Chris Duarte is, is you know, not, not old in terms of playing years, but older in terms of age. You have yep. Jordan Awara, who's now been around for a few years. Isaiah Jackson has been around for a few years. And, and TJ McConnell kind of picking up the caboose on, on yeah. the other end, right? So He's the 17th guard on the team, yeah. That, exactly. So <laughs> they just have a lot of really interesting pieces moving forward. And as pending free agents are concerned, you're not really losing a lot. Like non-guaranteed nope. contracts. It's George Hill, James Johnson, O'Shea Brissett, Kendall Brown, Gabe York. That's the list. Sure, How many yeah. of those... How many of those guys do you really expect to be in like the top seven, top eight of a playoff rotation once we get past this year anyway? So what do you like most, Steven? I I just ran through a lot. I'm so sorry. I rambled on a little bit about the Pacers. But what do you like the most about how this team is constructed and and where they're projecting to go in the future here? What I like about how they're constructed is, and this might be kind of like uh, counterintuitive when I say it, I like that they played a lot of dudes out of position. Because what they can do now yes. is they can address position positional needs in free agency and in the draft. And now you have shown that your guys can scale a lot better defensively and give you such lineup versatility that you can be one of the more unpredictable teams in the yep. NBA in the best of ways. So I love that aspect for the Pacers. I love the fact that they have so many heady guards coached by a a man in Rick Carlisle, who is one of the best guard coaches that we have seen in the NBA in in quite some time. And seeing him take on the role that he did on a rebuilding team after leaving Dallas, uh, I think that it kind of reinvigorated him a little bit because what we saw towards the tail end of Dallas, it was very, it looked, it appeared to be lazy coaching. Now there might've been like some, some circumstances that we're just not privy to, but it looked like going to Indiana and coaching them up 
reinvigorated his juices and his creativity. And I think that that puts him in prime position next season to be like one of the most fun league pass teams that could kind of overshoot their um, projected expected wins. Not just a league pass team, but I think a, a potential playoff team in general yes. in the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference. They're going to be knocking right on that door as they were for a large portion of the season. So yep. we're going to take one more quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about our selections for the Pacers, not just in the lottery, but through the first and the second round where they have more selections. All right. And we are back. So Steven, as it sits right now, the Pacers are currently slotted with a top eight selection. They are at pick number eight. Who Mm -hmm. four choices for pick number eight? You mentioned that they have a giant void at the combo forward position. I would 100% agree with you. That's a direction they can look to, to fill with this eighth overall pick. Who are the four names you have in mind for that selection? So he's fourth at this spot for eight, but we've already talked about him. So I'll just throw out GG Jackson was one of the names that I considered here okay. just for like the ultimate, like, Hey, we're competitive now. Let's take a homer and swing on a guy. Um, but he's fourth. The top guy is Taylor Hendricks, a player that I think a lot of us like. And I think that he does give them a lot of the um, help that they need. Now, Maxwell um, talks about, Taylor in a way that I think is very appropriate in the fact that he might not be as physically ready in the NBA as a lot of people are just kind of assuming him to be. So Mm -hmm. we might need to be a little bit patient with him, but I think in Indiana, we can be patient with him because they do have guys like Jalen Smith, I Jackson and um, miles Turner. So, and they can, they'll play guards like Nemhart will slide down to the three and the four sometimes too. So like, we know that they're not afraid to play funky, but when Taylor Hendricks is right, like you're talking about a guy whose entry level skill set is space spreading the floor and blocking shots, like kind of like a double miles Turner, but can cover more ground. I think a little yep. bit more quickly and at the four and the five, if you have both of those guys who can Turner has like grown into a really good drop big as well. And now you have a switchable guy kind of at the three, four, maybe even the five, if this like, if everything breaks absolutely correct for him and he can spread the floor and he is a good screen setter competitive on the glass. He's got some cool little passing stuff. I don't know if we'll ever really see in Indiana him like really explore the studio space as a creator, but I think that he addresses a lot of their weaknesses. So I have him there. Um, I drafted Grady Dick eighth before to Indiana and I'm doing it again here. Um, He's a, he's a guy that I'm considering um, as high as eight. Because I think that he is he the best movement shooter in this class? No, but he is six eight, so he's got great size. He has great being chased off the line game. He's more competitive on the defensive end than I think a lot of mm-hmm. us were expecting him to be coming in. He's a good rebounder and he's a better playmaker than I think that he gets credit for too. If you consider who else was on that Kansas team, the fact that he registered all the assists that he did speaks to his court vision and ability to move the ball. So I like the connective tissue ability there. And then we've already talked about Jet Howard. I just I like him as a another creator, another floor spacer, and rebounder on this team. And Miles Turner can help clean up stuff defensively. I love that you mentioned Taylor Hendricks. By my board, he would actually be gone at this point in the draft. Okay. I, I still have him at six overall. But to your point, 
I'm not sure that I would say he cleans up their weaknesses per se. I think it's more so that he personifies their strengths, right? We talked about the defensive sure. playmaking that this team is very much capable of and how that how that plays into their pace of play. He's one of the best weak side rim protectors that we have in this entire draft class. He can get his mitts on the ball, the amount of ground that he can cover defensively. I guess if you're talking about that aspect of his game and feeding into potential perimeter defense in his future, I can see that. And then his offensive game, yeah, you talked about how he may not buy he may not buy himself into the creation aspect in terms of self-creation, whether it's creating a shot for himself or creating for others, but spot up equity, three-point yep. shooting, spacing the floor, that plays into a strength of Indiana's right now and what is projected to be a long-term strength for their future. So maybe it's just adding to the identity that's already in place. And sometimes sometimes you don't have to look at the draft and, and just immediately look at your weaknesses, right? You don't always no. have to just look at the draft and say, I need to fill this hole and this hole and this hole. Maybe sometimes you just look at it and you want to add to a strength or you want to form an identity for your yeah, particular team. He fits the team. system, yeah. He fits the system to a T. I love that selection. You mentioned Jed Howard. We talked about him enough in the last segment. I, I mentioned Bryce Sensabaugh for this Pacers team. We talked about him enough in the last segment. Another guy who hit him and Jet, really, they further add to the identity of the team in terms of the perimeter shooting. But also, they're not these guys who are going to dribble the air out of the ball necessarily, right? They're mm -hmm. able to make quick decisions, whether it's scoring, shooting, whatever the case may be, they can keep the ball moving. But to that aspect and in playing at that pace, I actually like both of those guys within this particular system. And then you didn't mention Asar Thompson, I, I yeah. see him being gone by the by the time this pick is made, but he was actually the number one guy I had on this list for okay. the Indiana Pacers. I think that he would play into the pace, right? He is he is one of the better athletes in the top half of this draft, so he feeds into their transition game. He is an improving shooter, so hopefully by the time he would be called upon to play larger minutes for this team, the spot-up shooting, more of the catch-and-shoot game would be there for him. And then he could also apply pressure on the rim. He can make defensive plays on the perimeter and feed into that part of their identity. He can rebound for his position, and he can move the ball. We, we talked about it at the top, the stat, how they're one of the top five teams in assist percentage because they yep. have guys like Halliburton and Nemhard. They want more players who can keep that ball whizzing and moving. And Asar Thompson proved maybe he's not the flashiest lead guy for his team like a men was at overtime elite, but he's another one of these guys who can be a secondary tertiary playmaker and keep that ball moving around on the wing while also offering some two-way upside of his own as a scorer and then as a defensive playmaker. So that was the name that I had atop my list. What do you think about a being a possible fit for the Pacers? I didn't really consider him. Um, I think that I, I like the idea of it though, because he, he does play defense. He does run up and down the floor. Well, and he is a good connective player. I'm prioritizing size. I think for Indy, like very early okay. on. And I think that Asar he, he's got great length, like to me as a two, but as a three, and maybe he does kind of play into Indy's kind of like funky small ball lineup, so where he could be a three, um, being projected, I believe, at what, six, six, uh, mm -hmm. maybe six, seven. So um, not elite size for a three, but definitely functional enough, I think, in Indiana that it could work. Um, and they have plenty of floor spacing around him to where it, he's not really going to like junk stuff up either if he isn't, if he doesn't reach like that top end shooting potential. Now, if he does, like that opens things up for Indy yep. like in a crazy way. But 
let's just say like medium out average for him is like a 33% three point shooter. Indiana is a team that can afford to take a guy like that and play to his strengths and his like areas of concern aren't significant enough to like really be a detriment to that team. I don't feel like. Exactly. And I do feel yeah. like there is a spot open for his services, right? Andrew Nemhard is yeah. more of a, a two, one or a one, two Benedict Mathard. I think his best position moving forward is probably two. the two. If he grows into the three, that would be bread and butter for Indiana. Um, Aaron Neesmith has turned into like this really funky small ball four at this point. Jordan yeah. Moore, I kind of see him in that same mold as like a four, three more than a three, mm-hmm. four. So as a pure three, there's a spot open on this roster for, someone as talented as a Sar Thompson, another, another player, just another reason why I valued him as a selection that high in the draft pick 26. They have two late first round picks. We'll go yep. with 26 first. So who are the four names you brought up for pick 26? It's okay. If you got some overlap going into pick 29, yeah, yeah, yeah. Too, but really at this back end slot, who are some of the names you want to bring to the conversation? Yeah. So the number one guy in my field of four for 26 is Derek Whitehead. We already spoke about him. Great. Um, fit. Number four on my field of four was City Sissoko. Um, Love it. We already discussed him. Um, my second guy is a hometown boy, Trace Jackson Davis, coming okay. from Indiana, staying in Indiana. I think that he the the versatility that he gives with the the playmaking hub that he is, uh, the rim protection that he is, he can he can run the floor, he can do some creative things with the ball in his hands, um, with like a couple of dribbles, right? Like not running mm-hmm. any ISO storm or anything like that. Good screener, great rebounder, good hustle guy, good locker room guy. And then Ryan Rupert was the other one that we kind of touched on a little bit. I think that at his size, though, playing the three and the four, kind of a lot of the same reasons why you mentioned Asar. I think the athleticism is there. I think the toughness is there for him as well. And that the the shooting concerns that might exist with him, I don't think will be detrimental enough to hurt the team. And he's got some cool, like, kind of, if he's a three or a four, especially if he's a four, like some – funky ball handling stuff that he can bring yep. to this team as well. So th- that's my field of four for 26, Nathan. I like a lot of those names for me. I had some, some front court depth pieces picked out here. So I had Leonard Miller, Gigi Jackson and Noah Clowney, who we've, we've discussed at length for this team, but if they're willing to be patient with the development of some of these players, why not take a swing on any of those three guys? Yep. My last name that I picked out is a more quote unquote NBA ready player, someone who could very well go top 20, but he could also fall a little bit to this portion of the draft would be Chris Murray out of Iowa. You talked about Chris Murray earlier yep. with the Utah jazz, but listen, spot up guy, check three point shooter, check someone who can finish when he gets to the basket, check. He rebounds for his position. My, my hold up with Chris Murray on this particular team even though I had him as one of those four guys you can have at at 26 or even later at at pick 29 for that matter. He's a little bit redundant to someone like a Jordan Wara, and I would actually take Jordan Wara over Chris Murray. I think think Wara has been underrated, honestly, since he came into the league and certainly like up till now. He was a top 30 dude for me in his draft. I had him, I think, like at 29 or 30. I liked him a lot. I, I get the defensive concerns, and that's probably why he's not like a starter moving forward long term. But as like a top eight guy coming off your bench, he's not only a spot up guy, he can create his own shot in the mid range. He can get his own yeah. looks, scores in isolation, can get all the way to the basket. It's certainly a shooter, like I talked about. Like he he is one of those offensive dynamos, those combo forwards. You want a guy to be able to, to mix it up and, and bring him off your bench. And that's why 
because of his on-ball ability, I don't trust that part of Chris Murray's game. I, I don't think he's that level of athlete or that level of creator like his brother Keegan was coming out of college. So because of that redundancy, I, I may opt to, to go for another name instead of him. You brought up a name in Trace Jackson Davis, who I actually did have as one of the options at pick 29 for okay. the Pacers. So the thing with Trace Jackson Davis is – I've been hung up on his evaluation for a lot of the year because of the lack of a jump shot. I do think it's a glaring hole in his game. It's not something that translates pretty to the NBA level, but on this particular Pacers team, you mentioned the rim protection, him averaging almost three blocks a game. That, that is insane production at the college level that fits into this team's identity. The rebounding is there. The interior scoring is there. And then the part of his game that, that, people forget unless you're watching a lot of his tape he feeds into an identity of pace because he can grab and go there were plenty of times in indiana where he brought the floor up for that team and started initiating some of that offense he can do the same for this pacers team and they they don't really have another big on the roster who can grab and go like him so i actually do think he'd be an option for this indiana pacers team who are some of the other names you had rose uh, swirling around at pick 29 yeah, so at 29, uh, I had Chris Murray. I had Leonard Miller. Um, and then I got two uh, Steven specials here. The first one <laughs> is uh, Bobby Clinton. Because oh boy. If, if Bobby breaks right, you know, Katie bar the door. Like, this is – he's going to be a scary dude. The Swede Freak um, is, a, is a already a good three-point shooter at his size, um, already a good passer at his size, good rebounder. Um, went and he is like grown into his body recently, mm-hmm. you know, both in weight and in size. He is learning the American style game, uh, coming over from Sweden to playing basketball in Kansas with Grady Dick and mm-hmm. Mark Mitchell, and then going to Wake Forest and playing D1 basketball. This man is going to be scary, whether it's this year or next year. He is uh, maintaining his eligibility, but you take a swing on a guy at 29 on a team that's already talented and he hits right like you are a freaking genius and then this last guy that i have who's the fourth option at number 29 because i actually have him ranked a little bit lower but i kind of like him on this team is brandon pajemski i think that the i think that he would benefit playing off of other creators um being being a somewhat of a creator of himself coming in off the bench behind a guy like matherin as like a uh, kind of pick and roll Ball handler initiator has great float game can kind of mask that and parlay that into a good alley-oop game. And I think that they do got some front court talent that could take advantage of it. And if he's your second unit kind of lead guy, you're not really concerned about the, uh, the defensive limitations that may or may not be there, whether he is six, five, or maybe a little bit shorter. I just think that getting him late, uh, late first, early second round range might return great value. I like both of those names that you brought up as quote-unquote Steven specials. I didn't even consider Pachemski for, for any of my yeah. selections here with Indiana, but I think it's a great name to bring back in a conversation as a potential top 40 pick, someone who we haven't really talked a lot about, but as one of those combo guards, one of those sneaky, efficient-from-everywhere combo guards who can be another change-of-pace type player for you on offense – that's a name where I, I could see Indiana being like, yeah, we have a lot of guards, but you know what? Why not just take a good player and yeah. go get another one, right? Like why why waste a draft pick if we're not going to trade it away for whatever rhyme or reason or take a stash guy? Um, 
a few names that I had that we haven't talked about yet on this podcast in this selection range. Jordan Walsh out of Arkansas, if he's going to be in this draft, I like why it. Not, why not take a guy who maybe he's not giving you a ton offensively up to this point, but you need help defending on the perimeter, right? Yep. Opposing three-point shooters, opposing mid-range shooters, guys who are creating and getting into the teeth of that next level of the defense. Why not put a halt on all of that self-creation and get a guy who can be a lockdown defender for you at the NBA level who's still growing into his body, but likely to defend positions one through possibly four, right? At yep. that level. Why not go get a guy like that who can still continue to develop offensively and then if you're looking for more support on the wing julian strother out of gonzaga to me is another really good name and an off-ball guy he knows his role you have multiple guards as we talked about who are going to command the lion's share usage of the team go get another off-ball weapon very similar to a mathern who can cut to the basket for you at a high level has good floater touch can hit three-point shots can hit off movement can hit off the catch spot up Go get another guy who rebounds for his position and gives you all the tools you want offensively. He doesn't help you on the perimeter defensively, but as another guy who you can bring off the bench, why not just add more into the identity of that team? So those were some of the guys I had available at pick 29 that I wanted to lean into. Pick 32. Yeah. We, we've run through a number of guys for all of these picks. I do not expect the Indiana Pacers to make all of these picks, or at the very sure. least, if they do, they're probably going to go the route of a stash. But nevertheless, who do you have as some options that could be available for them at pick 32? We, we've already talked about Clowney. I've already talked about Clitman. I just dropped him down. Uh, you, you mentioned Julian Strother in your last field. I yep. have him here at the 32 field. The last guy that I have is Jaime Hawkins Jr., if he's Love available it. There's some at 32. Crossover, yeah. yeah, I just think that smart player can play make, can can bully guys. Uh he has the potential to be a good shooter. He's just been up and down throughout the, the college season. He is just a very intelligent guy, knows how to play, uh, to quote Rucker, he knows how to play the game the right way. Uh <laughs> rebounds, competes on the on the defensive end, very switchable, keeps the ball moving, keeps it humming, has some good creative craft around the basket. And if he can hit, if he can hit open threes and and some capacity, like he is just a guy that's going to stick around the NBA for a long time. It just yep. it's just a matter of at what capacity is he going to be able to do that. So he was my fourth on my field of four, following Clowney, Clintman, and Strother. My quote unquote domestic prospects that I had at this range of the draft, I also wrote down Hawkes for a lot of the same reasons that you did. If he's if he's spacing the floor consistently, that opens up all of his fun dribble drive game, which is really the bread yep. and butter of that UCLA Wings offense. I had Kevin McCullough as a guy who you could consider this okay. high at this point in the second round. He may not be the the cleanest spot up shooter available at this point in the draft. But I think he hit enough big shots at Kansas to where you can look at him as if the ball swings around to him and he's the fifth guy in the offense. I don't think he leaves you completely high and dry in that aspect. He's a better ball mover than given credit for, especially off a live dribble. And then defensively, we know he can guard a number of different positions and provide that potential lockdown value also, keeping to the defensive playmaking identity of this team. Adem Bona is my last quote-unquote okay. domestic prospect that I had written down a big who can certainly change ends, has one of the hottest running motors in this entire draft class. We know he's providing additional rebounding support. This team does rebound well on both ends. 
He's going to block some shots for you. He's going to finish on the interior at a high level. He may not have the, the best upside of some of the big men in this class, but why not get a guy who plays his tail off and can help you? If, if you need another big to bring off the bench to eat some fouls and just play hard and run the floor, Bona can be that guy for you also possessing some defensive upside of his own. And then if you are looking the way of a stash prospect, James Naji, right, playing Love currently it. for Barcelona. He's a guy, se- seven foot, 250 pounds, a absolute mammoth yes. uh, of a man, and, and an absolute mountain, somebody who, very similar to Bona, can offer you some, some versatility in, in, in transition as, as a rim finisher, as a lob threat. He can guard. Certainly the painted area on defense, I do think there's there's possibly a little bit of switchability to unlock with him. Not saying okay. that that's the type of role you want him in for 48 minutes, but I think there if, if you get him on an island, I don't think it's barbecue chicken in the same way as it could be for a number of other bigs in this sure. class. And then he's going to provide the type of effort that you want as a rebounder and as a shot blogger. So those were some of the names that I had in the mix for pick 32 Pick fifty-five. Yeah, this is this is what the draft sickos are here for, right? Draft sicko stuff. Who yes. are our back end of the second round guys <laughs> that we want to bring into the conversation? I will give you the floor to to run through some names that you're thinking about. Yeah, so I think some people might be screaming at me for having him in this range, but he could be. You know, Jalen Slawson Slawson coming out of Furman, okay. I think would be a, a great one because he can give you some versatility, kind of like two through four. I really feel like he's a good defender. He's a good passer. He's a good rebounder. And he made great strides as a three-point shooter. So, like, he's one of these dudes that if he's available at 55, you just say, hey, we got a grown-up that we can draft. And he might be one of these second-round dudes that end up sticking around in the NBA if everything breaks right. So I have him in my field of four here. Jordan Miller out of Miami for a lot of the same reasons. Uh, I just think that at the four spot, He's a good slasher. He's a good rebounder. He's a pretty good defender and a good ball mover as well. Like not someone that you can really rely on to uh, space the floor reliably, I feel like, in the NBA, but certainly uh, a a good guy to consider in this range. Someone who can space the floor reliably would be Jalen Forbes out of Tulane. I really like him as like a two or a three on this team for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned Julian Strother earlier. Let's say they don't address wing and they go – you know, a couple bigs later on in the draft, they can get a really good, reliable three-point shooter, which there's a lot of good three-point shooters in this draft that might not even yep. get drafted. And Forbes kind of fits that bill. And speaking of other guys who can shoot and pretty decent athletes, uh, Maxwell special, Ben Shepard, I feel like kind of being like a Ben Had Matherin. Him down. Yep. There you go. I feel like he would be the ultimate kind of like pseudo Ben Matherin coming in off of the bench if everything breaks right. You know, kind of the same build. A good athlete in the same regard, maybe not as good as a three-point shooter. Maybe he is, but it's. I feel like at 55, he's one of those dudes that he's coming from Belmont, some of these like lower-end schools with a lot to prove coming onto a team that has a lot to prove too. I think that he kind of fits that vibe very well for Andy. Ben Shepard has legitimate upside as a movement shooter, as somebody who can make decisions off of a live dribble better than given credit for, ran some pick and roll, at Belmont mm-hmm. was efficient from nearly all areas on the floor. Love that name. As a guy who could not only be available in the back end of the second round, a lot of these names that we're listing off, Stephen, and some of the ones I'll list off in a second as well, they may be available and taken 
earlier on than, than we think. Some of these guys might actually be like top 45 yeah. picks, depending on how this draft shakes out. Jordan Miller, as you mentioned, he would not shock me at all if he was like a top 40 draft selection, given the, the, the tournament run that Miami went on. I don't know if I'd take him in that range, but it would not shock me if he rises up. We talked about Shepard. Some other names that I want to throw out at you, Seth Lundy out of Penn State. Okay. I do think is I a like draftable that. top 60 guy. One of the best spot-up shooters that we have in this entire draft class. His shot chart is all sorts of red when you yeah. look at it on the year. Just getting efficient spot-up wings, 3 and D type guys have to look the way of a guy like Seth Lundy in the yeah, same you gotta put on you got to put on sunglasses when you look at a shot chart. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's that hot. It's a lot of red. It's a lot of red. And yeah. another guy who fits that same exact mold, somebody who I'm looking at in the back end of the second round, Landers Nolly out of Cincinnati. I love that. I, yeah. I was not a fan of Nolly when he was at Virginia Tech. He he actually regressed to a certain extent when he went to Memphis, but transfer to Cincinnati really seems like he put in a lot of good work in his very game. quiet season. Yeah. Quiet good season. Six foot seven, two hundred twenty pound ring a wing near seventeen points per game, six rebounds, three assists, forty-five percent from the field, forty-two from three, seventy-five from the free throw line efficient in multiple different areas on the floor. I get you would want him to be more, more of a better playmaker, a better rim finisher, but these teams want to give these six, seven, six, eight wings who can shoot from the outside a chance to, to earn a yeah. roster spot. He's going to be in the conversation in the second round. Your guy in mind, Demoy Hodge, I had written mm. down somebody who has been tearing up the Portsmouth Invitational as it took place this past weekend. Love his three and D upside. As a guard, yep. I was a little disappointed in some of his measurements. I think he slotted into that guard slot. Some people wondered, could he be like a small ball three? I think oh, he's no. better off as a two. <laughs> and I think yep. he's pretty locked into the two because of his lack of pick and roll reps throughout his his college career, his, his lengthy college career. But as a guy who can shoot off movement, he's a spot-up guy. He finishes at the rim when he gets there. He's a good cutter and he can defend multiple spots in the backcourt. He's an option that yep. could be drafted or certainly a priority undrafted free agent target. You mentioned Shepard. And then one last name I'll throw in as a wild card because he played so well at Portsmouth, Tumani Kamara. Oh, there Peyton we go. As a guy. Okay. Listen, if the Pacers want to add size and athleticism and players who do their best when they have the right setup guys in place to get them in position, Kamara is one of those guys yeah, he made me tear my hair out at times when I watched him at Dayton because <laughs> of some of the mistakes he made when there was a that lot whole of pressure and yeah. responsibility on him. But watching him again at, at Portsmouth, Stephen, when he has guards who play the game the right way and get him the ball in the right spots, and he doesn't have as much responsibility to create himself, he can look pretty dang good on the floor. We know that he can be one of these guys, an, an underrated defensive playmaker, athlete you know, above the rim finisher. So look out for a Camara to possibly be a guy who jumps up some draft boards. I love it. And sneaks his way into the second round. So all the names that we just listed off in this range, I said it a few minutes ago. I'll say it one more time. So it's drilled into the audience's brains. Get to know these guys. I promise yeah. they will sneak up draft boards. Some of these younger names that we once thought were going to be at this portion of the draft they will pull out and they they will come back to school. I promise you these older guys, they're going to creep in. So definitely get to know some of the top sleepers in the 2023 draft class. But Steven, that's it for this episode of the pod. We covered a ton of yeah. ground. Was there anything else you wanted to, to hit on with either of these teams or just some general draft thoughts? 
No, man. I just, like I said, for anybody who's a fan of either one of those teams, uh, first off, thank you for tuning in. We know that there's a lot of people that are going to be listening this time of yep. year that um, are coming over from being just solely NBA fans to trying to figure out who their teams are going to draft, right? So if you're a fan of this team and you have comments or questions or concerns, anything like that, we're going to drop our social uh, media accounts here soon. And where you can find us, just hit us up and we'd love to chat with you about any of them. Absolutely. You can find Steven on Twitter at Steven G Hoops. You can find me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. And most important of all, you can find all of us at the No Ceilings Collective under one Twitter handle at No Ceilings NBA. Mm. You can find all of us. You can get updates on all of our great content, our written work that goes out in the Substack, NoCeilingsNBA.com. It's absolutely free to subscribe for content that's delivered directly to your email Monday through Friday. You can obviously subscribe to, to this podcast where you're finding this episode, wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and also make sure you're locked in on our YouTube channel, No Ceilings NBA. We not only have all of our podcast episodes up there, we have all of the finals videos that our own Tyler Rucker has worked very hard to produce. Yes right for on on a majority of players in this draft class who are expected to be drafted and you have some killer player interviews that are also up on that YouTube channel if you want to get to know some of these prospects and hear from them directly go find some of our interviews and film breakdowns on our YouTube and, channel and Nathan we have a very fun project that's going to be dropping on Thursday that we can't wait for everyone to to be tuning in for so if you want to know what it is, I'm sure it's going to be plugged in other shows, but we're going to have a good time this Thursday. And you can only find that particular project on our YouTube channel, No Ceilings NBA. So make sure you're subscribed no now Ceilings so you TV don't miss it. on YouTube. So make no sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it when it drops. But until we meet again on this podcast feed, thank you all so much for listening. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.